This week's episode is brought to you by the Let's Catch Up podcast. This is Let's Catch Up. I'm Jay. And I'm Kay. Do you need a dose of hilarity in your life? Look no further. Join us, Jay and Kay, as we take you on a rip-tickling roller coaster through the ups and downs of married life, family antics, and everything in between. Strap in for unforgettable stories, uproarious banter, and our unique take on life's quirks. Jay and Kay are here to tickle your funny bone and brighten your day. Don't miss a moment of the laughter. Subscribe to Let's Catch Up today and let the good times roll. Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature, and Storytelling Hello, Saf Big here. As a podcast host and producer, I'm always on the lookout to add more music and sound effects into my podcast episodes. However, with copyright always on my mind, I needed a source where I can turn to which would solve this problem for me, which is when I found Thematic. Thematic provides copyright-free music and sound effects for all your podcast episodes, YouTube videos, and social media accounts, and more. With three levels of access to fit your needs, including no sign-on fee and a popular free level, a quick search feature, and featuring artists such as The Aces, Hoax, and Landon Cube, Thematic is the one source you should turn to. Visit Thematic at hellothematic.com. That again is H-E-L-L-O-T-H-E-M-A-T-I-C dot com. Thematic music and sound effects for all creator platforms. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening, and now on with the show. In this episode, we begin our new series, which will be ongoing parallel to the current 1001 Night series we are going through, Tales from Central Asia. We begin with a tale from the Bashkir tribe, the story of Alton Saka, the Golden Knucklebone. As you listen to this tale, you will notice the similarities present to what I discussed in both our one-year anniversary special episodes and with our regular special episodes, that is, the presence of animal companions which both help or hinder the protagonist and often gives him advice or help. This shows that the tales which involve animals speaking are quite common and are found in all different types of cultures and time periods. Each of these tales may provide a moral lesson if they can. Note the presence of sparrows, often considered pests, as being helpful, while the other birds, considered smarter or more intelligent, declining to help our protagonist Alton Saka. The second tale in this episode is from the Kalmayak tribe, Sarin Khan and the Archer. Listeners may in fact find similarities with the other tales which feature swans or sometimes cranes casting off their feathers to take on a human appearance and finding a lover or husband. Animals once again play a significant role here, 
the interaction between the archer and the tigress being a prominent example in this tale. We also get our first reference to the Russian Far East, with the archer being sent to get the milk of the aforementioned tigress. Fear not, listeners, we are continuing with the 1001 Nights next week. I hope you enjoy our first foray into the tales from Central Asia. Altin Saka, the Golden Knucklebone, a Bashkir fairy tale. The Bashkir, also known as the Bashkurts, are a Kipchak Turkic ethnic group located in present-day colonized Central Asia under Russian occupation. They are located primarily in the Republic of Bashkortostan, a republic of the Russian Federation, and within the historical region known as Budzagard, which spans both sides of the Ural Mountains. Bashkirs are also found in various other places of both independent and colonized Central Asia, including Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and the Republic of Tataristan. The Bashkir language is closely related to both the Tatar and Kazakh language, and most Bashkirs are Sunni Muslims. Once upon a time, there lived an old man and an old woman who had only one son, Altin Saka, by name, whom everyone called Altin Saka, the golden knucklebone, because he owned a golden knucklebone. Altin Saka played knucklebones better than anyone. No one could beat him at the game. One day, the old man went to a lake to water his horses. He drove the herd close to the water, but the horses shook their manes and tails, pawed at the ground with their hooves, whinnied nervously, and kept backing away from it. What can it mean, the old man asked himself. I had better come up closer to the water and see. But no sooner had he bent over the water than someone suddenly clutched him by the beard. The old man tried to break free, but could not. He looked and he saw that clutching his beard was the old witch Ubier herself. Let me go, Ubier, the old man cried. I will give you a flock of sheep if you do. I don't need your old sheep, Ubier replied. A herd of horses then. I don't need your old horses. What shall I give you then? Give me that which you have but one in your yurta. In his fright, the old man did not stop to think what it was. Very well, you shall have it, said he. Only let me go. And Uber let him go, saying, Just remember that you can't hide from me. I'll find you anywhere. The old man came home, and it was then that he understood what it was Uber had asked of him. It was his son she had meant, his dear Altensaka, for he had but one son. The old man felt very sad and woe be gone, but he said nothing about it to his wife and son. We had better move on to new camping grounds. The lands here are poor, was all he said. So they moved on to a new camping site and set up the yurta there. 
but the very next day, Alten Saka missed his golden knuckle bone. Where is my golden knuckle bone? asked he. Said the old man, we must have left it at our old camp. Only you mustn't go there, for Uber will get you. And he told Alten Saka of all that had happened to him on the lake shore. I am not afraid of Uber, said Alten Saka. She will never catch me. I am going back. Only tell me which horse I can take. The father tried to get his son to change his mind, but Alten Saka stood firm. He was not afraid of Uber, he said. So he would, and that was the end of that. There was no way of keeping him from doing what he wanted, said the father. Very well, let it be as you wish, and now go where the herd is. Swing your korok, and rattle your bridle, and whichever horse runs up to you, that is the one you must ride. Alten Saka went to where the herd was grazing. He swung his korok and rattled his bridle, and at once a scraggy, rough-coated colt ran up to him. Alten Saka drove him away and went back to his father. Tell me, father, which horse should I take? He asked. Did I not tell you to swing your korok and rattle your bridle? The father said. And Alten Saka again went to where the herd was grazing. He swung his korok and rattled his bridle, and the very same colt ran up to him. There is no help for it. I will have to take this colt, said Alten Saka. He touched the colt's neck, and lo, its dirty tangled coat fell away. He put the bridle on him, and the colt became strong and sleek. He led him out of the paddock, and the colt turned into a tall and stately horse. He saddled him, and he became the best and most handsome steed in the herd. Where are you going? Alten Saka, the horse asked. I am going to our old camping site to get my golden knuckle bone, Alten Saka replied. Uber is waiting for you there, said the horse. She will tell you to get off my back and pick up your knuckle bone, but you must not listen to her, for if you get off my back, she will eat you up. Just bend down quickly and seize the knuckle bone. Alten Saka jumped on the horse's back and made for the old camping ground site. He looked and he saw Uber sitting by the campfire and warming her hands. Give me back my golden knuckle bone, Grandma, said Alten Saka. There it is, lying on the ground, my son, Uber replied. Get off your horse and pick it up. My back aches, so I cannot move. But Alten Saka did not do as Uber said. Instead, his horse bent low and he snatched up his golden knuckle bone without getting off his back and galloped away. Uber sprang to her feet with a howl of rage. She spat once and a great black horse stood beside her. She spat a second time and some reins appeared. Uber jumped on the horse's back and galloped after Alten Saka. Fast as the wind they went, Alten Saka on his bay horse and Uber on her great black one. Very close she got to him and she was about to seize him when her horse stumbled and dropped behind. Uber pulled at the reins and dug her heels into the horse's side, but the horse only ran slower. Uber flew into a passion. She was so angry that she ate up the horse and had to run on foot after Alten Saka.
On and on Uber ran, goading herself on by hitting herself on the sides and back with her fists. She caught up to the bay horse and bit through his right leg, but he galloped on three legs. Uber did not drop behind. She caught up with the bay horse again and bit through his left leg, and the horse mustered his last remaining strength and plunged ahead, bearing Alton Saka away from Uber. But he had not much strength left, and galloping up to the side of the lake said, I cannot run any more. I will hide from Uber in the lake, and you must hurry and climb that oak tree yonder. When my legs heal, I will carry you further. And with these words, the horse dived into the lake. Alton Saka quickly climbed up the oak tree and hid himself in its topmost branches. Uber ran up. She saw Alton Saka in the oak tree and cried, I've got you now. I will drag you down and eat you up. She spat and an axe appeared. Then she pulled out a tooth and using it to sharpen her axe, began hacking down the oak tree, the chips flying to all sides as she worked. A fox ran up at the sound. Why are you chopping down the oak tree, grandma? asked the fox. Cannot you see who is sitting in it? Uber returned. I will chop down the oak tree, seize Alton Saka, the golden knucklebone, and eat him up. The fox looked up and seeing a handsome lad sitting in the top of the oak tree, felt sorry for him. You are old, Uber, said she. You must not wear yourself out. Let me chop down the oak tree for you. No, no, said Uber. I will chop it down myself and eat up Alton Saka, but the fox would not be put off so easily. I will chop down the oak tree and you will eat him up, she said. Uber gave the fox her axe, lay down under the oak tree, and at once fell asleep. She snored as she slept, and flames and smoke poured from her mouth. While Uber slept, the fox threw into the lake the axe and the tooth Uber had used for a wheat stone, and gathering up all the chips, fitted them into the cuts in the tree made by Uber. Then she spat on the cuts and licked them, and at once the chips grew fast into the tree, and it became whole again. Then the fox said goodbye to Alton Saka and ran away. Uber woke up, took one glance at the oak tree and said, What do I see? The oak tree is whole again, as though I never touched it. And she began cursing the fox and calling her all the bad names she could think of. Then she spat and an axe appeared. She pulled another tooth out of her mouth and began wheating the axe. And she kept looking up at Alton Saka as she worked and saying, I will chop down the oak tree and eat you up. When she had made her axe very sharp, Uber again began hacking down the oak tree. The chips flew to all sides and the tree shook and swayed. Another stroke of the axe and down it would fall. All of a sudden, a second fox ran up. What are you doing, Grandma? she asked of Uber, chopping down the oak tree. Whatever for? I want to get at Alton Saka, the golden knucklebone, up there and eat him up, said the fox. You must not strain yourself. Let me chop down the oak tree for you. No, no, Uber grumbled. I can manage. I want to eat up Alton Saka myself. 
And so you shall, the fox replied. I will only chop down the oak tree. No, Uber cried. I will not give you my axe. There was another fox here who promised to help me, but she fooled me. What color was this fox? The fox asked. Red. You must never trust red foxes, Grandma, said the fox. Red foxes are liars, all of them. Only we black foxes can be trusted. Uber looked at her and saw that the fox was indeed black. So she gave her the axe and at once lay down and fell asleep. She snored as she slept and flame and smoke poured from her mouth. The fox threw Uber's axe and tooth into the lake, fitted the chips into the cut in the tree and spat on them and licked them. And lo and behold, they grew fast to the tree which became whole again. Then the fox said goodbye to Alten Saka and ran away. Uber awoke soon after and looked at the oak tree. Why, what is this? The oak is whole again, she cried. She spat and an axe appeared. She pulled a third tooth out of her mouth and began wetting the axe, and when it was quite sharp, started chopping down the oak tree again, and she cursed Alton Saka and the fox as she worked, calling them the ugliest names she could think of. At last the oak tree was cut halfway through, and Altansaka looked down and told himself that Uber was sure to get him now. All of a sudden, who should come running up to the oak tree but another fox, a white one this time? Let me help you chop down the oak tree, Grandma, said the fox. Be off with you before I eat you up, Uber cried. Twice already I have been fooled by foxes. What color were they, Grandma? asked the fox. One was red and the other black, Uber replied. You must never trust red or black foxes, Grandma, said the fox. They are terrible liars. Only we white foxes can be trusted. I won't fool you, I promise. Uber believed the fox and giving her the axe, lay down and went to sleep. And when the fox threw the axe and the tooth Uber had used for a wheat stone, into the lake, and gathering up the chips, fitted them into the cut in the tree. She spat on them and licked them, and they grew fast to it. Said the fox to Alton Saka, I have helped you three times, Alton Saka, the golden knucklebone. I smeared my fur with black and then with white clay, so that Uber might not know me. But I'm afraid I can do nothing more for you. And bidding him goodbye, she ran away. Soon after, Uber woke up. What is this I see, cried she. It is as if I had not touched the tree at all. She spat and an axe appeared. She pulled out her last tooth and began wheating the axe, and when it was sharp, started chopping down the oak tree, muttering as she worked, No more helpers for me, I will manage by myself. The chips flew to all sides, and the oak swayed and creaked, and seemed about to crash down. Alton Saka sat there, and he felt that Uber would surely get him now. What shall I do, he asked himself. All of a sudden, whom should he see come flying up to the oak tree, and perching on the top of it but a raven? Hear me, raven, hear me, my good friend, Alton Saka said. You fly everywhere and know everyone. Fly to our new camp, find my two dogs, Ak Kulak and 
Ak-tir-nak there and tell them to come quickly, for I need their help. I will not, the raven replied. I hope Uber kills you, for then I shall get some of your flesh to eat. And perching comfortably on a brow, he settled down to wait. Alton Saka looked to all sides to see if he could find someone to help him, and lo, who should come flying up to the oak tree just then but a magpie. Hear me, magpie, hear me, my good friend, said Alton Saka. You fly everywhere and know everyone. Fly to our new camp and tell my dogs, Akkulak and Akthirnak, to come quickly, for I need their help. I will not, the magpie replied. I hope Uber kills you, for then I shall get some of your flesh to eat. Alton Saka felt very sad. My end is near, thought he. All of a sudden, what should he see but a flock of sparrows flying just over his head? Hear me, grey sparrows, hear me, my good friends, said Alton Saka. Fly to our new camp, find my dogs, Akkulak and Akthirnak, and tell them that the old witch Uber wants to eat me up. We will find them, we will find them, we will tell them, we will tell them, chirped the sparrows, and away they flew very fast for Alton Saka's camp. There they came to the camp and found Alton Saka's two dogs fast asleep, worn out completely, what with running about in search of their master. And the sparrows began to peck at the dog's ears and set up a great chirping. Come, Akkulak, come, Akthirnak, they chirped. Hurry and run to the big oak tree that grows by the lake and save your master. Uber wants to eat him up. Akkulak and Akthirnak started up and rushed for the lake, raising clouds of dust as they ran. Uber saw the dust and she said to Alton Saka, Look, Alton Saka, the golden knucklebone, look, what are those clouds of dust on the road? They bring joy to me and grief to you, Alton Saka replied. Uber heard the patter of the dog's feet and she asked, do you hear that, Alton Saka, the golden knucklebone? What is that patter? It brings joy to me and grief to you, Alton Saka replied. Just then, Akkulak and Akthirnak ran up. They rushed at Uber and began to bite and worry her. Uber was frightened. She threw her axe and plunged in after it. Said the dogs to Alton Saka, we are going to dive in after Uber, and you stay here and watch the water. If we kill Uber, the water in the lake will turn black. If Uber kills us, it will turn red. And with these words, they plunged in. The water in the lake began seething and boiling, and Alton Saka saw that it was turning red. Uber has killed my dogs, he said to himself. He looked again, and lo! The water was now black. Alton Saka was overjoyed. He laughed in glee and climbed down from the oak tree, and Akkulak and Akthirnak came out of the water and began shaking themselves. Why did the water in the lake turn red at first? Alton Saka asked. Because Uber was beginning to get the better of us and even bit off one of my ears, said Akthirnak. 
but we soon made short work of her. The bay horse followed the dogs out of the lake. Come, Altensaka, the golden knucklebone, said he. Jump on my back and I will take you home. And so Altensaka returned to his camp safe and sound. His mother and father were very happy, and they held a great feast to which they invited all their kith and kin, and all their friends too. For nine whole days they ate and drank and made merry. Sarkin Khan and the Archer A Kalmyk Fairy Tale The Kalmyks are a Mongol ethnic group that are mainly living in present-day colonized Central Asia under Russian occupation. They are located primarily on the Kalmyk steppe, which is on the western shore of the Caspian Sea. They are traditionally Buddhist, having maintained their religion when their ancestors migrated from the region known as Zungaria, located in present-day northern East Turkestan. The Kalmayaks are a branch of the Oryat Mongols, whose rule extended to parts of present-day Kazakhstan, Russia, Mongolia, and China. In olden times, in the realm of Sarin Khan, there lived an archer who was brave and handsome and strong. One day he went to the shore of a lake to hunt wild fowl, and he saw three golden-crowned swans. The archer at once fell flat on the ground, hid himself in the rushes, and laid in wait. The three golden-crowned swans flew down to the shore, cast off their feathers, and turned into three beautiful maidens who stepped into the water and began bathing. The archer crept near, seized the cast-off plumage of one of the swans, and hid himself in the rushes again. The swan maids bathed and swam about. They came out of the water, and two of them at once donned their feathers, but the third could not find hers. The two swans flew up into the air and began looking for their sister's feathers, but they did not see them anywhere. It is the will of fate, sister, cried they and flew away. The swan maiden was left alone. She ran up and down the shore, looking for her feathers and weeping bitterly. If he who finds my feathers and returns them to me is poor, said she, I will make him rich. If he is ugly, I will make him handsome. I will give him anything he asks for. The archer came out from behind the clump of rushes. Do not grieve, swan maiden, but come to me, he said. I have your feathers. Seeing her feathers in the hands of the handsome archer, the swan maiden was well pleased and came up to him shyly. Oh, my brother, said she, you have done one kind deed in finding my feathers. Now do another and let me have them back. In return, you shall have anything you desire. I will grant your every wish. There is nothing I want but your own dear self, replied the archer. Will you be my wife? The swan maiden looked at the archer, and seeing him so young and tall and handsome, said softly, I will. 
Then the archer took her by the hand, led her to the nomad camp where he lived and married her. They had only the archer's kibitka, his covered wagon, for a home, but they loved one another dearly and could not bear to be out of each other's sight for even a moment. Some little time passed, and Sarin Khan heard that his archer was married to a woman of rare and dazzling beauty. Being curious to learn if this was true, he went to the archer's tent and was astonished to see that those who had spoken of the archer's wife had not exaggerated. As lovely as a daughter of the sun was she, and no woman in the realm could compare with her. Having feasted his eyes on the swan maiden's beauty, Sarkin Khan returned to his palace and at once called together his darkhans, his viziers and counselors, and regaled them with the best of foods and drinks, and then said, O my darkhans, you whom I hold as dear as life itself, I ask for your counsel. You shall have it, O Khan, the darkhans replied, said Zarin Khan. One of my archers has a wife whose beauty is such as has never been seen on earth. She outshines all. And Saren Khan went on to speak of the proud bearing and lovely features of the archer's young wife, of her sweet voice and of the graceful way she walked, of the beauty of her eyes and of her long plaited hair. And this woman of beauty so rare that it is as the rays of the sun is the wife of a simple archer, said he in conclusion, advise me, tell me how I can get her for myself. Some Darkhans thought it over and said, steal her from her home and keep her here in the palace secretly without anyone knowing about it. Others of the Darkhan thought it over and said, kill the archer and marry her. Still others of the Darkhan thought it over and said, Do not kill the archer, but banish him from your realm. Then you can take away his wife with no trouble. When all of them had spoken, the chief Darkhan, he who sat on the right-hand side of the Khan, rose to his feet. There is no wisdom in any of these counsels, said he. To steal a woman from her home and keep her secretly in the Khan's palace is imprudent, for sooner or later the people will learn of it. To kill the archer and marry his widow is dangerous, for the people may rebel, and then there will never be an end to trouble. To banish the archer is foolish, for he will return in secret and take his wife away. No, what we must use here is cunning. What is it you advise then? Sarant Khan asked. Said the chief Darkhan, I have heard that in the land of the setting sun, on the steep bank of a wide river there dwells a tigress and her cubs this tigress is more savage than any beast to be found on earth you my khan must order the archer to bring you some of the tigress's milk he will not come back for the tigress is sure to tear him to pieces then it will be easy for you to take his wife for yourself nor will it be hard to send the archer on this errand, for he will not dare disobey his khan. The chief Darkhan's plan found favor with both Sarin Khan himself and all his counselors. That is a wise plan, said they, and Sarin Khan did as the Darkhan counseled. He pretended to be gravely ill and sent for the archer. The archer came, and the Khan began moaning and sighing. 
You can see for yourself that I am stricken by a grave illness, said he. The cure is to be found in the land of the setting sun. There on the steep bank of a wide river dwells a large tigress. Only her milk can give me back my strength. Go at once and bring me some. And Saren Khan moaned louder and writhed as if in pain. The archer went back to his kibitka and began getting ready for his journey. He put on his best clothing and he armed himself with his best weapons. Where are you going? the wife asked. The Khan is dangerously ill. He can only be cured if he drinks of the milk of the tigress that lives on the steep bank of a wide river in the land of the setting sun. He has ordered me to go there without delay. I go against my will, but I cannot disobey. The archer's wife understood that in sending her husband for the tigress's milk, Zarin Khan had some evil purpose in mind. She brought out her flowered kerchief, gave it to her husband, and said to him, Always have this kerchief with you, for it will save you from death. When the tigress makes to pounce on you, take it out and wave it, and she will at once become meek and gentle and allow you to milk her. She knows me, for she has lived in my house. The archer took the flowered kerchief, saddled his horse, and taking leave of his wife, set off at a gallop for the land of the setting sun. Lower than the clouds but higher than the tops of the nomads' tents, he rose, leaving behind him hills and gorges, lakes and deserts. In such haste was he to carry out the Khan's command and return to his wife that he did not stop to eat during the day or to sleep at night and forgot to count the days and nights. He was on his way for a long time and at last reached a cliff overhanging a river as broad as the sea. It was here that the large tigress and her cubs dwelt. The tigress saw the archer when he was a whole day's ride away. She let out a deafening roar, and wanting to pounce on him, leapt forward. But the archer, quick as lightning, pulled out the flowered kerchief his wife had given him, and waved it. The tigress at once stood stock still, and stopped roaring. Tell me, brave archer, where did you get the kerchief? she asked him. My wife gave it to me, the archer replied. And now tell me why you have come here, the tigress went on. My Khan has fallen dangerously ill, the archer told her, and he has ordered me to fetch him some of your milk. Dismount quickly and I will let you milk me, said the tigress. You can fill your whole portago full of my milk. The archer alighted and milked the tigress. When his bortago was full, he strapped it tightly to his saddle, thanked the tigress and wished her good health. I wish you the same, the tigress said. Now go home to your wife, make your Khan well again, and may fortune smile upon you always. And saying this, the tigress went back to her cubs, and the archer jumped on his horse and set off homewards. He had no sooner arrived than he took his bortago to the Khan, and Zarin Khan took a sip of the milk and pretended that it had revived him. I am well again now, said he. He sent the archer from him, and at once called together his darkhans. It was a wise counsel my chief darkhan gave me, but it has availed me nothing, said he. The tigress did not tear the archer to pieces. He has returned home safe and sound. 
What errand shall I send him on so that he may never come back here again? The Darkhans began to think and to ponder, but rack their brains as they would, there was nothing they could think of. Then the chief Darkhan, he who sat on the left-hand side of the Khan, rose and said, We sent the archer to a place where we thought he would perish, but as he did not, there remains but one thing for us to do, to get together the worst rascals in the realm, have them fill their bellies with drink and food, and try to discover whether they know of a way of putting the archer to death, and thus ridding the Khan of him forever. The chief Darkhan has spoken truly, we must do as he says, they all agreed. And Sarkin Khan and his Darkhans, secretly invited to the palace, a company of rogues, thieves, and cutthroats of the worst kind. They filled them with drink and rich food, and began trying to discover whether anyone among them knew of a way of ridding the Khan of the archer. If there is no one among you who can help the Khan, said they, perhaps you know of someone who can. And Sarin Khan and his Darkhans began walking about among the ill-sorted company and waiting to hear what the rogues and thieves had to say. But no reply came, for the rogues and thieves kept as mum as if they had not yet swallowed the meat they had been given. Then the Darkhans put the same question again, and again the rogues and thieves were silent. Suddenly one among them, a man blind in one eye, and a cunning devil, if there ever was one, jumped up from his seat, threw open his robe, and smiting his chest with his fist, cried, I know what to do. Zarin Khan was well pleased. Speak up then, he said. Said the one-eyed man, you must send the archer no one knows where, and command him to bring you no one knows what. He will go to seek something that is without shape or form, and not being able to find it, will never dare to appear in these parts again. Sarkin Khan and his Darkhans were delighted with the one-eyed man's counsel, and rewarding him richly, sent him away. In order to find some pretext for what he was about to ask the archer to do, Sarkin Khan again pretended to be gravely ill, and summoning the archer, said to him with many moans and sighs, I am gravely ill again, and I can only be cured if you go no one knows where, and bring me no one knows what. If anyone can do it, you can. But where am I to go, and what am I to bring? the archer asked. I don't know, said Sarin Khan. All I know is that you are the only one who can do it. If you fail, I shall die. And he began moaning louder than ever and writhing as if in pain. The archer went back to his kibitka and began to think what he should do. For three days and three nights, he thought. During the day he would climb to the top of a hill and stand there thinking, and at night he would turn and twist on his thick mat of felt. He thought long and he thought hard, but could think of nothing. Yet he would not breathe a word of it to his wife for fear of worrying her. Three days passed and then the archer saddled his horse. Perhaps if I follow my nose, I shall get wherever it is the Khan is sending me, said he to himself, and jumping on the horse's back, he called his wife in order to bid her goodbye. Where are you going? she asked. 
The Khan is ill again, the archer replied. He has commanded me to go, no one knows where, to seek no one knows what. Said the archer's wife, you won't get there on horseback, you must go on foot. Here is a ball of thread for you. Take three steps and then throw it down, and whichever way it rolls, there you must go. Here, too, is a golden comb. Take it with you and comb your hair with it every morning. The archer said goodbye to his wife, took three steps, and threw down the ball of thread. The ball of thread started rolling very, very fast, and the archer walked after it. He followed it over salt marshes and quicksands, up high hills and down deep gullies, past lakes and camping grounds, and through growths of rushes. During the day he would not stop to eat, at night he would not sleep, and he lost count of the days, weeks and months that passed. At last the ball of thread rolled into a great dark forest, and the archer followed it. Day in and day out he walked, without rest or sleep, and the ball of thread kept rolling on and on. Finally it rolled up to a little kibitka of felt and vanished for all the world just as if it had melted away. What am I to do now? the archer asked himself. I suppose I must go inside, and lifting up the hanging of thick felt, he entered the kibitka and was met by a little woman who was very, very beautiful. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on coffee. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, please click on the link available on our many social media platforms or email us. Why not donate to our coffee to show your appreciation? Every bit helps and we thank you for your continued support. We love that our listeners love listening to us. Welcome to the vocabulary section for this episode. First, let's look at some of the terms used in this episode. Knucklebone, known as scatterjacks or jacks, is a game of dexterity played with a number of small objects that are thrown up, caught, and manipulated various ways. Uber, an evil spirit in Bakshir mythology. According to belief, souls of those who commit suicide or people buried without proper rights becomes an uber. Yurta, a tent of thick felt, portable round tent and insulated with skin or felt. Korok, a kind of lasso. Bridle, headgear used to control a horse consisting of buckled straps to which a bit and reins are attached. B. Reddish brown or brown body coloring with a black point coloration on the mane, tails, ear edges, and lower legs. Wheatstone. Sharpening stone used to sharpen the edges of steel tools such as knives through grinding and honing. Magpie. Birds of the Corvidae family widely considered to be intelligent. Kibitka, a covered wagon or sled. Tarhans or Tarhans, Central Asian title 
used by various Turkic, Hungarian, Mongolian, and even Iranian peoples. Kerchief, a piece of fabric used to cover the head or worn around the neck. Gorges, a narrow valley between hills or mountains, typically with steep rocky walls and a stream running through it. Bortago, a flat vessel of leather. Now let's look at some of the vocabulary used in this episode. Woe be gone, sad or miserable in appearance. Regaled, entertain or amuse someone with talk or lavishly supply someone with food or drink. Writhed, make continual twisting, squirming movements or contortion of the body. Mum, not speaking, silent. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.